It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Nicole Clark, a round of three questions, and Jared reads War and Peace. Not allowed, mind you, but we recorded it anyway. But first, your host, Jared Correa. Welcome back. This is the Legal Toolkit Podcast. My name is Jared Correa, and because Mike Douglas was unavailable, I'm your host. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at gideon.legal. Before we get rolling, I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode. Hi, mom. Now, my mom is a real reason you're listening to the show right now, but the sponsors have a little something to do with it also. So I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors right now. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Let's be real, everybody. Screen time limitations for kids, those are pretty much out the window during a pandemic. A lot of kids aren't in school. There's no sports, no play dates. What the hell else do we have to do, right? Except for watch TV and play board games. Now, my kids have been playing more video games than ever. I'm not ashamed or even embarrassed about that, so don't at me. That's the way it is right now. Not always the case, but right now it's keeping everybody sane. So we've got a PlayStation 4 in the house, which is largely my son's. And the other day, he was downloading this game, and it was called Sackboy, A Big Adventure. So immediately I checked to make sure this wasn't a porn, and it wasn't. And so we played it as a family. And Sackboy is maybe what you would think Sackboy is. He's a boy made out of a stuffed sack. He's basically a burlap sack with arms and legs and a head that runs around. So with this like game thesis in mind, I didn't have a lot of high hopes. But what I want to tell you, our listeners, is that Sackboy is actually pretty dope. This game is super fun. Like, High-level entertainment for the whole family. It's like infectious playing this game. And I will tell you that we paid 80 bucks for this game, and it was well worth it. I probably would have paid 120 bucks for this game, 150 bucks for this game. Don't tell Sony. So what I learned is that it's a spinoff of this Sony puzzle game called Little Big Planet, and that's all I know about it. I am not intending to buy any Little Big Planet titles or even research them further. What you need to know is that it's a puzzle game and that Sackboy is one of the characters in Little Big Planet. So again, I know nothing about Little Big Planet. 
but you don't have to know anything about Little Big Planet either. You don't need to know any of that backstory to be able to play Sackboy. So I can tell you that if you want to get into Sackboy, go ahead and get into Sackboy immediately. Whoa. Phrasing. So the game itself kind of reminds me of a multiplayer version of Super Mario Brothers. It's got those same addictive qualities. And by the way, quick digression, back in the day in 85, when I was a seven-year-old boy myself, I saved $5 for 20 weeks to buy a Nintendo Entertainment System. That was a big deal for me. I got the Mario Brothers game and the Duck Hunt title together. That was sweet. I would blow into it, put it into the system. It would work. And that was like one of the highlights of my youth. And I think that it's really cool that this game reminds me of Mario Brothers. So, of course, the graphics and the gameplay are on like another level, even though I'm an old man and I think there are still too many buttons. So there are several reasons I think Sackboy is amazing. Probably the primary one for me is that they clearly spent a ton of money on buying music titles for this video game which some of my producers on Legal Tight Network refuse to do. <clears throat> in any event, Sackboy's got music like Uptown Funk in it, David Bowie's Let's Dance, really cool, like, upbeat songs, and... There's a water level where they have like a choral version of Madonna's Material Girl. So I'm sitting there playing this game and I'm like, man, that hook sounds really familiar. And then I figured out that it was Madonna. And I it, it blows my mind, again, how much money they paid on music for this. But as like a nostalgia play for somebody who's sitting home all the time these days, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Probably the coolest thing they have is they have a surf rock version of AHA's Take On Me which is great. So part of the time we're spending playing the game, part of the time we're spending looking up, was that actually the song we thought it was in that level? The thing I, I like also is, is it's a cooperative game. So you have to work together. So you've got as many as four players, which means for me, my whole family can play together. And some of the tasks you have to do on your own, and you have to help each other out. That's great for my kids. So we call ourselves a sack family and we're just rolling down the road, beating levels together. However, during a pandemic where everybody's stuck at home with each other all the time, some frustrations ensue. So the other thing I, I really like about the game is that you can beat the other characters senseless and they can't really do anything about it. So if I tell my son that he has to go to bed early the night before, he can just punch my sack boy character in the face, get his frustrations out and not yell at me later. You can also beat up some of the game guides as well. So that's fun too, for sure. Another cool thing is that different levels have different powers. So in one level, you're in space and you've got rocket boots. In another level, you're taking down uh, cactuses, cacti. So you've got a boomerang that you can use. Really awesome that you learn a new skill every level almost. And then there's like this costume store that you can access. So you collect these little gem things and you can buy different costumes, which my daughter really likes. Uh, she's six. So that's like right up her alley. So... I think Sackboy is just tremendously fun. And if you're looking for something to do that's a family game, and if you're tired of board games, this is a great one. Sackboy, a big adventure on the Sony PlayStation 4 and 5. And maybe the best part of all is that if you want to find out more about Sackboy, there's an online wiki called Sackopedia. Uh-oh, phrasing. So as it turns out, Sackboy is the man. Looking for more legal tech goodies to add to your sack? Stay tuned. 
because we've got our guest Nicole Clark from Trellis coming up next. But first, a quick commercial break. Did you know that firms using electronic payments collect an average of $15,179 more per lawyer and see 6% more revenue growth? Simply put, law firms using electronic payments, on average, bring in higher case volumes and more revenue. For more insights to help turbocharge your law firm, check out Clio's Legal Trends Report, a compilation of industry insights. Go to clio.com to download your free copy today. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's about time to get to the chicken tenders buried at the bottom of the new Arby's Meat Mountain sandwich, which I have not had yet. How do you know that? Because I'm not dead. Let's interview our guest. My guest today is Nicole Clark, who is the founder and CEO of Trellis, an AI-powered state court research and analytics platform built by litigators for litigators. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jared. Good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, all, all things considered. All things considered, right? So let's get started. We're going to do legal research today. No doubt a thrilling topic for all concerned, right? <laughs> Riveting, absolutely. <laughs> I actually think, and maybe it's because I'm nerdy, is that there's a lot of really interesting things going on in legal research. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. So awesome. first thing I want to chat about is your software product, Trellis, one of the things you do is provide access to court records, state court mm -hmm. records and information. Yep. So why was it necessary to do that? Where were the gaps that required more information, more curated information coming from state courts as opposed to federal courts or other administrative agencies? Yeah, it's a good question. So generally, the gap is the entire state trial court system. Um, so well, it's, that's, it's a that's fairly, fairly wide gap. Yes. <laughs> so, so currently, if you think about it, if you're trying to access any information about a, a state trial court case, you would try and go to the county court website and use a docket number. And if you have the docket number, you might be able to get into the docket of the case. Without having that docket number, there's there's no way to find out any information. And as I was practicing at the state trial court level, which granted is the largest court system in the world and is mm. a 30 to one ratio between number of cases filed in federal court and number of cases filed in state court. Wow, so we're talking crazy. about really where all the litigation takes place, right? Mm -hmm. And it just, it didn't make sense to me that accessing this data was so difficult that it was fragmented by every separate county court and that there was no sort of, you know, PACER for the state trial courts. Right, right. And could you talk briefly about what PACER is for people who don't sure, know or, or sure. on a federal litigation practice? So in the federal courts, it's all one unified system for e-filing and being able to find documents and information on federal cases. So it's, it's sort of this one unified system that you can go through and look up and all of the different federal courts are unified and searchable through this system. I like to think of, of what Trellis does as sort of a Google that sits on top of state trial court data. 
mm. in a similar way to the way that PACER sits on top of federal court data. So what you're saying is that the state system is fairly disorganized and every state does things in their own way. Hmm. That sounds Even familiar more. if you're trying to get a vaccine, right? No, I digress. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Let's keep talking about legal research. Well, it's, it's even no. I mean, it's, it's a great another example of uh, some some similar organizational failings. But right. it's it's even more so than just state by state. It is actually fragmented county by county. Mm. So there is no unification. Even all of California, all of New York, each one of the courts are their own internal sort of king of their own fiefdom in terms of how you access the data. So what right. we do is bring all that data into one interface, structure it, normalize it, because it is in every format you can imagine. And then by having it structured, then you can seek information on judges and opposing counsel and legal issues and be able to search the data like that. So if you're a litigator, that's like a huge problem. Yes. I could imagine that being a morass. <laughs> and I think you're out of L.A., if I remember correctly. Like a state like California probably has to be a bigger morass than most states just because oh, there's, there's no so question. many counties, so many court systems, so many filings. Absolutely. With Los Angeles County being the three times the volume of any other court uh, in the nation. Wow. So this concept of structured data is important. You know it. I know it. But Let's talk a little bit about what structured data means so people have an understanding sure. about why unorganized data is really difficult to get after. Yep. So um, almost in, in any classification uh, that you can think of, one example would be case numbers. So let's just talk about case numbers for a second. Yep. So there is no unification that all of even an entire state, let's go with California, that all of California uses for their various cases. So the actual numbering system from every single court is entirely different. Same with the way that they list out the parties of the case. Um, some listed last name first, some list only the law firm, some list only the attorney. So when you get in this data, there's no way, because there isn't already a, a structure, there's no way to actually get meaning out of the data because it's fragmented, disorganized. And what we have to do is take that disorganized data in and create our own classification schema and hierarchy to be able to search across case numbers, to be able to search across case types. You know, every court lists uh, a wrongful termination case in an entirely different case number and case type way. So what we have to do is basically create that structure and then map the data, the disorganized data that we get in back to a schema that actually makes sense so that when an attorney wants to search by their opposing counsel and pull up all of their opposing counsel's cases, now there is actually a field and structure for being able to find where that opposing counsel is litigating on certain cases, as one example. Right. So when we're talking about structured data, like the way to make that as easy as possible for people to understand, I think, is organized data in a specific yes. way, using like naming conventions, for example. Yep. So that allows you to do two things. The first is that what you talked about before. There's no pacer for state court records. So how do you functionally Correct. create access points? But yep. then two is once you start creating that structured data and managing it, now you can start sticking machine learning and AI technology onto that data. So do you want to talk a little bit about how that works? And that's going to provide insights beyond like just a case docket. That's going to give you some deeper insights than lawyers have ever had before, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the ways to think about it is that this data has just historically been almost entirely inaccessible. So by creating the structure, ultimately that allows us to do analytics on top of the data where you can let, let's use judge analytics as an example. 
where you can now look up the judge that you're appearing before. You can see how many active cases they have, um, what the case breakdown that they're hearing looks like. You know, are, are you going to need to educate them in a particular case type area that you're practicing? Or is this judge super experienced in it? And you can jump right in. And then all the way down to how the judge rules on specific pretrial motions in particular case types. The next classification we're, we're digging down to is even introducing moving party into the analysis. So on a motion to dismiss, does the judge's analysis change if plaintiff is the moving party? Does it change if defense is the moving party? Um, particularly in, in torts cases or uh, practice area tort and then dig down to personal injury. And how does that change the analysis of a particular judge? So by creating the, the structure, we're able to really help attorneys glean insights that a human just wouldn't be able to do. There's too much data. <laughs> um, and right. a human it's is not going to be able to problem. go through. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so this is actually, while AI is a, you know, a buzzword that we're all probably annoyed at, at hearing, um, <laughs> legal is actually the right use case for AI. It's a, it's an area where there is massive amounts of data that need structure and classification and that insights can be gleaned that just couldn't be gleaned by a human who can't go through millions of cases on their own. Oh, right. I, th I think if you talk to the average lawyer, they might say that, hey, there's a lot of legal technology out there. But sure. my impression of it, and probably yours too, is that like this is still at really nascent stages, especially when we're talking about applications of machine learning and AI, because challenge number one is organizing all this data. Yes, yes. So there's 50 states, yep. untold numbers of counties in the yep. country. 3,000 uh, uh, different counties, yep. Right. So how how does this problem get tackled by the industry? Mm -hmm. Like how labor intensive is it? How do you get the data to a point mm -hmm. where it becomes structured? What's that process look like? So that is really interesting. And I can tell you that looking at, at sort of our applications of AI as nascent right now is absolutely correct. We are in the infant stages of mm -hmm. really being able to apply AI. And you're right that you can't do it. You can't create machine learning algorithms unless you have good structured data that the machine can learn from. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we spent the last sort of year and a half doing was not starting with machine learning algorithms, but instead classifying the data, structuring the data so right. that we could train the machine so that it could continue to learn and get better. But that's largely was largely a, a logic, uh, a human based logic effort of going through and not only sort of structuring by an overall case. So let's say a docket, but in fact, going deeper to structure and classify everything by docket entry level. So you can imagine an incredibly time intensive practice that mm -hmm. now got us to the place where now we can effectively utilize machine learning. But if you want to talk about why, um, you know, what are some of the barriers? It, it's that in the first place. It is the amount of effort that it takes to make the data structured so that it, it can be useful for any AI applications in the first place. Right, right. And if, if people remember back 20 years ago when we had the Y2K thing, Everybody's like, oh man, now we got to add two numbers in front of every date record or the world is going to implode. Clearly yes. that didn't happen, but an effort like that seems small compared to what you're talking about. Because this is really what you're talking about, county by county, state mm -hmm. by state effort, which is really like guerrilla warfare. It and is. That's, it's a great way to think about it. And start with the big states first and then go to the smaller states afterwards, right? That would be the play. Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. So highest, yeah, we decide on our states based on a variety of different things. So uh, volume of litigation, number of lawyers, uh, value of the type of litigation that takes place there. And then also technology considerations. What are the, um, what, what's sort of going to be, you know, your, your low hanging fruit? And then what, because it's technically difficult, is actually important for us to get because it creates a, a moat and a barrier that others won't be able to jump into as easily. So large combination of, of how we decide states to prioritize and counties to prioritize. Right. And let's talk a little bit more broadly now. Sure. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in legal research. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of attorneys look at legal research and they say, well, I've got my Lexus or Westlaw subscription. Yes. And now I'm done. And yep. maybe they have like a fast case slash case maker subscription mm-hmm. through their bar association. But what kind of interesting things do you see happening in the legal research community that is outside of those big players? You know, I I think that the largest players have the difficulty of being uh, slow moving. It, you know, it takes a ton of inertia to be able to, to move a large organization to be able to innovate. So I actually see some of the smallest players as doing some of the most interesting and innovative stuff in mm-hmm. legal research. But generally, it's not enough, I think, anymore to think about, well, you know, I've used my trusty uh, yellow legal pad and I rely on, you know, the, the basic uh, Lexus that I always have. And yep. that's a, and, and that's enough. Because the truth is that what ultimately happens there is you have younger, hungrier attorneys that are willing to embrace technology. And then you become it becomes an issue of sort of asymmetrical access to data which is going to disadvantage those. I mean, if one has data and one doesn't, it's very obvious um, that the, the person with data and insights is going to be able to have more of an advantage. Oh, right. So, Absolutely. You know, I, I generally think that we should continue to watch the, the smaller players that can... It's easier if you think about it for us to test something out, try it out, see if it works. If it doesn't, move on to the next thing. Whereas a very large organization, by the time they go through the gauntlet of uh, going all in on a new project, they're already too far in and they've got to make it work at that point. Oh, right. And I think part of this, too, is this notion that I feel like what most attorneys view this as is, okay, I have my legal research product and now I'm yep. done. But in <laughs> in the current environment, I don't think it's a terrible idea to look at potentially multiple legal research products based on your needs. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Uh, you know, it's a little bit um, annoying, I'd say, for the user because, well, I use this product because <laughs> it's good at this thing and I use this one because it's better for this particular thing. But the truth of the matter is some of the things that are being tackled by the different companies are really, really difficult. And it is useful to utilize that particular company for the thing that they're best at as we all continue to grow. But there's there's no question that if you don't take advantage, for instance, if let's say you're practicing in state court, you're only using Lexis or Westlaw. You're only looking at court of appeals case law, but that doesn't give you the insight where, where Trellis tells you how your judge actually thinks about your particular issue. What is the case law that your judge thinks is persuasive? And so by only relying on Lexis, then you've lost the ability to really target and tailor your, your motion particular. Outside of Trellis, do, just doing basic sort of uh, citation checking you're going to have such an easier time doing that with some of the uh, more innovative you know, systems that come out and say, actually, the citation is wrong. And you don't have to spend your hours and hours doing the you know, really rote uh, 
you know, citation checking, but instead have a machine help with that and get back to focusing on the more sophisticated aspects of practice. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff being done in AI and machine learning and legal research. In my estimation, it's probably the place where the most significant work is being done there across Mm -hmm. all of legal technology. And you guys are sitting right in the middle of it. So thank you so much. That's Nicole Clark from Trellis. She'll be back in a moment because we'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e.com. Remember, that's timesolv.com. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Welcome to the rear end of the legal toolkit. I call it the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics of my choosing. Today, we're going to play one of our games that we bring out from time to time. It's called Three Questions. In Three Questions, I offer a list of three people or items and three descriptions. It's our guest job to match everything up. (laughs) Our victim today, I mean guest, (laughs) is Nicole Clark from Trellis. Nicole, are you ready to play? I am so ready. What could go wrong? <laughs> no, no, nothing's going to go wrong. Don't worry. And we can always edit it out in post. <laughs> so we're going to do four categories. I'm going to okay. give you three items and three descriptions, and then you got to match them up. Are okay. you ready? Yes. Okay. Category one is called getting sacked. So the choices are sack boy, sacajawea, and Saks Fifth Avenue. One is a video game character in Little okay. Big Planet. Another is a Native American guide for Lewis and Clark. Okay. And another is a famous department store. I, I'm I'm prefacing this by saying I started you out with what I think with is an easy, easy one. one. You threw you threw me so, a softball here. <laughs> so I th- <laughs> I feel confident that you're gonna go three for three. So let me know what you got. All right, so we got Sacagawea as the guide for Lewis and Clark. We got yes. Saks Fifth Avenue as the department store. And then remind me the last one, because that's Boy. where that fits in. Video game Sack character. Boy is a video game character. There we go. Three for three. I did I, I did the show monologue on Sackboy, which is a video really? game that my family and I have been playing. It's super fun. That's awesome. Is this your first learning of Sackboy? It is. Okay. You broadened my horizons. Really fun. I'm trying. I'm trying to. The, your, your, your horizons have only begun to be broadened. Okay. Okay, awesome. Next category is semi-famous Richards. Ooh, okay. Your choices are Dick York, Dick Sargent, 
and Dick Sweat. One is a <laughs> New Hampshire politician. One is the first Darren on Bewitched. And one oh. is the second Darren on Bewitched. So we're getting a little we're getting a little more difficult here. These questions are becoming harder. They so. certainly are. Okay. Uh Dick's then these are these are full guesses, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So uh Dick Sergeant first bewitched, Dick York politician, Dick Sweat second. Oh uh, wow, that bewitched. is I, I am so sorry. It's absolutely we're, wrong. We're over three. <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard to do. So I feel like I should get some credit there. Oh, that's that's real. I'm, I'm giving you one on that one. The Dick York, Dick Sergeant thing is really hard because I can never remember which one is like the first Darren and the second Darren. So the first Darren is Dick York. Second Darren is Dick Sergeant. And then Dick Sweat is actually a New Hampshire politician that ran for that's office amazing. when Poor I was in guy. college. Let me tell you, it was hard to keep Dick Sweat signs on people's lawns. They were often oh. stolen. And I... <laughs> I don't know Love if you've that. seen um, the history of curse words on Netflix yet with Nicolas Cage. No. It's a really funny show. They do like a documentary style on curse words for like five or so swear words. And Dick Sweat what? actually made it into one of the episodes. Did it? Oh, which I, which I was sitting there like, oh my God, <laughs> I remember that dude. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Next. We're halfway through. How do you feel? You need a break? Or are you ready to continue? Um, I'm, re I'm ready to do this. All right. Next. Odd couples, odd couples. Okay. Getting a little bit easier here. I feel bad. <laughs> number one is Bing Crosby and David Bowie. Hmm. Number two is Todd and Copper. And number three is French fries and mayonnaise. Okay. One odd couple sang a version of the Little Drummer Boy together. Weird. The okay. other odd couple <laughs> <laughs> were a fox and a dog, and they were best friends played by Mickey Rooney and Kurt Russell. Okay. And the last is a disgusting food combination that only sick freaks would eat. And I'll repeat okay. those for you. Bing Crosby yes. and David Bowie, Todd okay. and Copper, and French fries and mayonnaise. Okay, I've got this one. Okay. So French fries and mayonnaise, that is a gross combination of, of foods. Yes, uh, yes, often, it totally is. Often used uh, in Canada, I think there's some. Uh, I think a lot there's of it a I've Canadian noticed. thing about French fries and mayonnaise, as well as poutine. But we we don't we won't poutine, digress correct. that far. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Copper, uh, that's the dog. And, yes, and, correct. And then, of course, the I mean, the, the most interesting odd couple we've got is the the David Bowie uh, little drummer boy that you oh. definitely brought in my horizon there. Very weird. You should watch the video if you haven't seen it. It's really strange <laughs> to see. But so that was uh, Todd and Copper from the Disney movie The Todd Fox and, and the Hound, 1981 okay. Disney release. All right, you're doing really well, actually. I'm I'm pretty impressed. Um, you're <laughs> six for nine. That's a really good batting average. All right, <clears throat> our last one. Fictional weapons. Ooh. So. My area of expertise. <laughs> I know. This is like right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Lightsabers, phasers, okay. and Jewish Ooh. space lasers. Okay. Wow. Okay. One is what they use in Star Wars for sword fights. Okay. Yeah. Two is what they use in Star Trek to shoot people. And lastly the cause of California wildfires, according to an actual congressperson. And you're a, you're a Californian, so you can debunk that if it's not true. All right. And the choices, again, are lightsabers, phasers, yeah. and Jewish space lasers. 
Okay. So, so we've got lightsabers for Star Wars. Yes. Um, we've got, what was the Phasers, not Star Wars one? Star Phasers. Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> you, can see, you can see my <laughs> massive amount of Trekkie knowledge. Okay. So Phasers has got to be Star Trek. Yes. And then the clear cause of California wildfires would be the, uh, the Jewish what? The Jewish space laser, just firing Jewish off from the cosmos. Space laser. Yeah, yeah. So now you know. <laughs> I, you know, I wondered what it was that was causing our wildfires because we we do we have a problem. It's the damn Jewish uh, uh, Jewish space lasers. Now you space. know. I can't, I I'm can't here to help inform you. It's so it's yeah. so shocking to me. Yeah. Uh, to find it, out this information. Okay. Yeah. You would think you would think it was just like the standard causes of wildfires for centuries, but yeah. no. Thankfully, there are folks out there who can inform us of the real deal. Well. Now we can take care of it. So yes. that's, that's great. <laughs> yes. Okay. Wow. Nicole, you, yes. you you were great. Thank you <laughs> for being such a good sport. How was that? That wasn't too bad, right? No, that was super fun. I did. I learned multiple things each each round. So that's always a win. Nine of 12, 750 batting <laughs> average. Amazing. I feel like I could have done better, but there's the <laughs> next time. I'll have to have a rematch at some point. Yes, <laughs> we'll do it again. Now. For those of you listening on Ghana, India's number one music app, I know you're out there. <laughs> Our Spotify playlist for this week's show covers some of my favorite musical duets. So listen Ooh. in to that. Nicole, you got any recommendations for my playlist? Any duets oh. you like in particular? Uh, okay, this is a, the, a, a super recent one, but mm -hmm. the, uh, and, and, and a little poppy, but I'm digging it. It's the, the Taylor Swift Bon Iver. Oh uh, yeah. What is yeah. is that Exiles? Is that that song? Yeah, good job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My my daughter loves Taylor Swift. Okay, that's going on there. <laughs> my my <You> too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So thanks again, Nicole. You're great. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Our guest today has been Nicole Clark of Trellis Legal Research. For more information about Trellis, go to trellis.law. Now, my producer tells me we're running out of time, so I unfortunately will not be able to read War and Peace today. And that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where Bob Wills is still the king. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.